This is Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day, and welcome to episode 146 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today is my great pleasure to introduce Kairos Tarapur, former Chief Human Resources Officer of Xylem, a leading global water technology company committed to developing innovative technology solutions to the world's water and critical infrastructure challenges. For more than 30 years, Kairos has provided human resources executive leadership across industry-leading companies such as Xylem, Babcock and Wilcox, Ceridian, and General Electric. He served across the U.S., Canada, and India with cross-functional experience across sales, marketing, supply chain, and Lean Six Sigma quality. Kairos, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Hi, Ken. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, good morning, good evening, good day to uh, all the listeners. It's my pleasure. And it's our pleasure to have you today, and I so appreciate you taking the time. So I always like to start off really describing a little bit of your own, what I'll call digital threads. So in other words, the one or more thematic threads that define your industry journey. So what would you consider to be your digital thread, Kairos? Yeah, for me, Ken, as I was thinking about this question is the, for me, digital is actionable insight. And uh, that's the way I think about it. And because there could be so many different sort of meanings of what that is. And my first sort of exposure to the power of digital or the digital thread, as you called it, was when I was with GE Fleet Services. And this was back in probably 2003, 2004. And we had just started a fledgling telematics operation that time. We had these fleets of trucks and vehicles that, that sort of clients used. And this was the early days of telematics and using telematics as a way to optimize performance and drive greater insight and productivity, et cetera. And since then, in every role that I've had or every business that I've had, there's always been some way to get to data and to try and leverage that data to create some sort of intelligence or insight. So when I was with my next company, which was Ceridian, and we had a Comdata, which was a like a payment business, and it, this is a sort of a proprietary network for uh, trucking at fuel stations. And since we didn't ride the Visa or Master Rails, but we had a proprietary network, it allows us to get much more data. And then we presented that data and analyzed that data and gave much greater sort of value add to our clients. So again, it was the power of differentiation in the early days. Now, of course, it's much more widespread. And then with Xylem, finally, clearly what we're trying to do is create that sort of connected water utility all the way from meters down to operating equipment to enable better billing systems, to enable optimized system performance, productivity, manning of the equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's always been fascinating for me how whatever the, whatever the uh, application is, sort of data and digital has always been a sort of way to drive greater efficiency and insight. 
And that's one of the things I loved about your background. Obviously, I haven't had a chance to, to work with you, but at Xylem, it was that knowledge of industry, the digital, if you will, transformation of that. And then, of course, the absolute critical element of getting the right people and, and as Jeff Moore said, getting the right people on the bus, as he <laughs> likes yes. to say. So you, you joined General Electric in 1998, serving across leadership roles across HR and, and uh, global quality. And you mentioned a moment ago about uh, 2003 and four, some of the work you did on the fleet side. What a phenomenal time to be in the company, uh, working under the legendary Jack Welch at the time. What, uh, what did you learn being at the intersection of people and quality? Yeah, G sort of for Six Sigma and G was was about three things. You know, first was of course the traditional driving productivity, reducing cost, process improvement, etc. And that that was a large part of what we did. But that was just one leg of the tool, of the stool rather. Sorry, the second leg was around at the customer for the customers, what we called it, which was basically a way for us to deploy the Six Sigma technology to our customers and clients on a selective basis. And that enabled us to provide a sort of a value add and a differentiation by sharing our sort of technology of Six Sigma, if you will. And it you know, enabled a stickiness and what we would call at the customer for the customer. So it was a way for us to, to get closer to our clients and their understanding and, and create a sort of a bond. And then the third and arguably, and Jack always called this the most important leg, was around talent development. And that's how I was in the role as a quality leader with my background in HR, which was essentially around taking our top talent, usually earlier career, and these typically tend to be great sales leaders, great manufacturing leaders who are energized and motivated by kind of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month successes. And they have direct teams that they lead. And then flicking them out of that role, which they do really well, and putting them into a a sort of a black belt role or a master black belt role, where really what they have to do is lead by influence. And they see it's more strategic, it's more sort of systemic change, and they have to then apply their influencing skills, they have to look at success in longer increments of six to 12 months, and it's a mindset shift, and it really creates a lot of growth for them from being able to sort of personally deploy and drive success to having to drive it through the enterprise and consider things like change management and stakeholder engagement, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great development experience. And that's really what what was the core of why we had made it a sort of a widespread enterprise-wide program. And it was hugely successful at that time. It, uh, it certainly was, and the diaspora of GE have gone on to many different industry-leading roles and taking some of those best practices as well. Honestly, it's still, in many cases, probably hasn't caught up to the bar that you guys set way back when either, at least at, at a kind of solidified corporate level. There's still a, a, a lot of best practices yet to be built, I imagine, out there based on this three, three-legged stool model. So you ultimately joined Xylem in 2015 after having served in executive leadership roles at Ceridian and uh, Babcock and Wilcox, as you mentioned. Xylem at the time had recently emerged um, as the successor operating company to the water equipment assets held by ITT. So what ultimately attracted you to the industry and the company at that time? Yeah, thanks, Ken. For me, when I was exiting Babcock and Wilcox, which had gone gone through a split, 
And I was predominantly focused on the defense business there. And to me, there are a couple of things that attracted me about Xylem. One was it was a truly global company, and I was missed that a little bit from Babcock and Wilcox and, and, and Ceridian. And, but it, it was truly a global company. We've got not just a U.S. company operating globally, but a global company. Second, even though we primarily focused on one industry, the water industry, we dealt across multiple technologies, depending on all the services that we provided to the water industry. So it was multiple technologies and multiple revenue streams. So it was a very interesting business with multiple technologies, multiple revenue streams, but focused on one industry and global. And it was a strong company, it generated good cash flow, you know, strong balance sheet. And then, of course, I loved the people who I spoke to and I met with. And perhaps the most important of all was that there was a sort of a common thread, as you called it, which was this sense of higher purpose, of wanting to leave the world a better place, certainly being focused operationally and commercially, but having a higher purpose and the water mission, which was really like a glue that held the company together, despite being as disparate as it was. And so that was really refreshing and energizing for me at that stage, and certainly don't regret it for a second. Yeah, and I, I share the uh, admiration for the uh, team and for the company having worked with you guys on the census acquisition and a number of other initiatives as well. Yes. Watching that that ELT in operation around Patrick Decker is still a high point, I think, in, in exposure to such uh, industrial companies as well. So speaking of the ELT, under your HR leadership as part of that team, Xylem is now, of course, a, a leading global water technology company, a market cap's about 20 billion, revenue is 5 billion approximately, employing 17,000 employees, 55 countries. Going back and thinking about 2015, how would you characterize the challenge you and that leadership team faced at the time? And what was your strategy for growing the company? Yeah. So thanks, Ken. Yeah, I joined, so I'm speaking now, I, as you said, I've just recently retired. So I'm speaking on, on my behalf and I'm not with Xylem anymore. But for me, I think the, the history of Xylem, as you said, was coming out of ITT. When Xylem was formed, it was really a collection of companies coming out of ITT, tied together and positioned as a pure play water company to the street and the street loved it. And there were high expectations, but the team was not able to deliver on, on for successive quarters. So the first thing when Patrick joined in, in probably mid 2014 and, and I followed about a year later, was first thing was to ensure that we have the credibility of delivering results, right? Because I think you need to be able to eat your vegetables before you get to the dessert, as he would say. That was the first thing we did. We focused on operational success and delivering our performance. And then what we did was we articulated a sort of a strategy. We talked about our sort of top five key strategic pillars, and we stuck to that top five strategy. What we did under them might change year to year, but we, create, we created a consistency around what our focus was going to be, which was a little refreshing from the first sort of five years of Xylem as a public company, where because of the pressures of under-delivering, I think they kept changing their strategy. So that was one one core. And then from a specifically from a growth perspective, the team did a sort of a value mapping exercise and three key areas of growth, one of which was systems intelligence. 
which is what led to a number of our technology acquisitions led by Census, which Momenta helped us with, was the sort of the big one. And then we did a number of other acquisitions and built up our portfolio around sort of our digital capabilities and were able to have credibility in delivering them because we had domain knowledge around the equipment and the processes. And then when you combine them with digital, that's a power that, that the, the clients really appreciated. Uh, so that was really it. And then the other two areas of focus from our value mapping exercises were treatment and industrial services. And I think our next phase of growth is going to be focusing on strengthening our capabilities in those areas so that we can expand more into the industrial sector and more into sort of advanced treatment technologies. So that's in a nutshell of what we've been focused on. And I think the key area is focus and execution and delivery. Absolutely agree on on that. And who could argue with the the market trajectory now of Xylem having looking back from the 2015 mark? So you guys obviously did very well in terms of uh, steering that ship. The you spoke of digital a moment ago. The emergence of digital, of course, has affected pretty much every industrial domain, defining new roles, business models, uh, and new markets. What what trends have you seen in digital during your time, and how have you helped prepare your organizations for their respective digital transformations? Yeah, in my experience, it's really, it's always about the people, right? It's about behavior, whether it's getting the behavior change and adoption internally, or even with our customers and our, and our client groups. So I think enabling that sort of behavior change, that mindset, that paradigm, that's always been a, a sort of a, a critical issue. And then, of course, from a technical point of view, you've got to ensure that your data is clean and you have consistency and rigor in your processes to maintain that data, etc. But the biggest issue is always the behavioral aspect. And for us, we did all of, it was one of those all of the above kind of a thing. You do a lot of communication, you do education, you drive incentives, you make sure that it's something that sort of people talk about. You try to drive it into your culture. You try to ensure that people who are not from the digital, but from the heritage technologies don't feel threatened, don't feel that this is the favored child, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It's certainly something that that we've sort of worked very hard for and also help our customers to the extent that we can in terms of driving this sort of change management within their organizations. Because for them also, that's one of the most critical aspects is how do we get adoption to truly get the full realization of the capabilities that digital can help drive. Looking um, at executive leadership, you have, I, I don't know, have you counted over your career how many people you've you have placed at the various companies in executive <laughs> so leadership roles? I'm just going to guess it's in the hundreds <laughs> as I look across your, your background, and I, I might be low on that one. But, you know, what I always love about people who have such a platform in terms of their perspective of having done something for so long is that that they come away with really deep insights. And so I'm curious, when you think about the top traits that you've looked for in, in, in executive leadership, one, what would you characterize as those? And two, to what degree do you think that profile has changed over your career? So... I have always looked at it, and maybe this comes out of GE as well, 
is my philosophy has always been to hire for who the person is rather than what they know. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions when you're looking for deep technical talent or R&D and things like that. But for the most part, for leadership roles, as you've called it, for the most part, I would say we would always focus on who the person is rather than what they know. And the idea being that if anyone who you pick is going to be reasonably smart and knowledge in many ways is, is one of the easier things to acquire than changing who you are. But when I say fit, it's not about necessarily a fit from everyone having the same style or the same way of thinking, etc. But it's that sort of core values, core thread. And like in Xylem's case, this sort of passion for a higher purpose and wanting to make a difference and the passion for water, because that really would be something that, can, that, that you can work with and drive. In terms of traits, I would summarize it as to getting the right balance between self-confidence and humility. I think if you find someone with as close to the right balance as you can, I find that is a great leadership combination. Someone who is confident and is, is willing to take the risk, is willing to make the investments, is willing to bet on people, but at the same time has the humility to, to listen, to learn, to ask for help. And I think if you get that balance, I think you create a great organization and a great leader. So that's been my sort of uh, look. What I've been looking for is, does this person have the right balance between self-confidence and humility? And then do they have the passion for what our core purpose and, and, and goals are? The, you think about the talent acquisition industry, right? To help find those type of people, as you've listed, generally the idea of a headhunter or executive search recruiter, whatever you want to call them, has pretty much been the same since probably the, the 1950s. I have a Rolodex, I have a phone, and I can find you the right people from my network in that regard. Right. What are some of the trends that you've seen in talent acquisition during your time? And really, how do you see the future of this space changing over the next decade? Yeah, so the, the talent acquisition is probably the within the HR space, it's probably the area where there's been the most leveraging digital technologies. And I've, I worked earlier for the last few years, I have a friend who's a professor at Columbia, and he's been working on sort of trying to get the right questions, which will give be great predictors for hiring. And his focus has really been more on the volume hiring for like call center associates and customer service reps, et cetera. And I think there's been some great work and he's been able to you know leverage a lot of data. And like him, there have been several who've done. So there's been a lot of work in leveraging digital technology for talent acquisition in the sort of entry level or, or, or for certain targeted roles. Where I, I have not been uh, exposed to as much so far has been more in the sort of the middle and the executive levels. And I think that's perhaps an opportunity for us to, to find a better ways to leverage digital technologies to be able to maybe transform the way we do search, maybe disrupt the way we do search. And I think, so one of the things I'm doing post-retirement is I've got an advisory board position with a startup company in, in California, which is looking at finding ways that they can leverage digital technologies to drive further efficiencies and potentially disruption in the executive search space. So I guess more to come there, but but I think that it's certainly an area where where time will tell whether it's ripe for a digital evolution or whether the traditional ways are more effective, which I'm thinking that maybe we might have some success with 
with leveraging digital technologies there. Yeah, I've had Jeff Christian sometime last year on a podcast, and he's, of course, the world-famous exec search professional, having recruited like Carly Fiorina at the time for HP. And and he describes the world as uh, pre-LinkedIn and post-LinkedIn. <laughs> he said that's been probably the single biggest change in that industry in terms of the ability to have, if you will, a global database in that regard. And I have to imagine if that simple tool, as we would call social right. media, is, uh, is that impactful that there are others behind it? And that's a great, that's a great, that's a great sort of a database and a research. And that certainly changed the way they do research within the area. But then sort of getting that match and other correlations that could be predictors for match beyond just human judgment. And I think that's kind of the next frontier, I would think. Yeah, and it sounds like you're already well plugged in uh, to that as well. That is, I think, will be a very hot area, and certainly we're looking at it as well. Speaking of the, the uh, I guess, her uh, legacy or heritage, if you will, the World Economic Forum has called this past 18 months the, the Great Reset, of course, because of the impact of COVID, which, knock on wood, hopefully is uh, we're climbing out of slowly but surely. Let me ask, do you see a new normal emerging from this in terms of people maybe working more from home or the change in roles or others? What would you forecast to be the largest changes coming out of this? Yeah. So I, I think that unquestionably there's going to be, this. the world is going to change post-COVID. Pre-COVID, post-COVID is going to be in so many areas because this has really been a global sort of an issue. From a physical point of view, it you know, what I've been talking to peers and what we've been doing is I think we are a lot of companies are moving towards this sort of hybrid model where you work a few days at, in the office and to ensure that you have the social interactions and the ability to sort of build bonds and build relationships, et cetera, but yet also work for a few days from home. And that allows you the productivity and the all, all the benefits of that. So I think the hybrid is probably where most companies are heading towards because I think that might be an ability to do the best of the world, both worlds, if you will. But it's going to be a new paradigm and a new model. And I think time will tell. There will be some companies that, that would move back to the 100% in office, everyone, and we see some of those announcements. Similarly, we also see some announcements of companies saying we're never going back to the offices and we're going to be 100% virtual. I don't think the 100% virtual is a long term because I think the human beings are a social animals. And at the end of the day, what this is going to do from a sort of a social, from a mental framework, if people are more disconnected, I think that will that time will tell about in that point of view. Particularly, I think people who are just coming out of school and colleges and they don't really have those bonds and the ability to navigate an organization and really get to know how things work which is so critical for success. So I think that there will always be a place for some sort of physical interaction space. It need not be as much, but I think that's going to, there's always going to be that element. Yeah, I like your thought about the uh, hybrid. We are certainly seeing extremes talking about certain companies saying we we have no longer have a headquarters per se. I, and I wonder how much of that is for for cost reasons or tax reasons many right. times versus right. true efficiency or effectivity. But it sounds to me like 
there are probably some great opportunities, again, for digital technologies to help create, if you will, some of those bonds, right, on, on a, where somebody's on a fractional basis in the office and, and out of the office as well. So yeah. I guess Absolutely. with all of but, that... But, you know, the digital technologies create their great opportunities, but also a lot of, lot of challenges. I think that's where, particularly for some of the kind of the earlier entry-level jobs where you have a lot of privacy issues and privacy concerns and you need to be able to remain connected and so therefore is it monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a number of issues that would potentially be coming up in addition to the productivity opportunities. And again, it sounds like you're well plugged into some of these because I think the digital opportunities are really going to probably still largely ahead of us in terms of creating, yes. say, tools and approaches for HR organizations to manage uh, some of this, especially at the type of scale that you've been you've been used to in the past. So, I'm sure the question many of our listeners are thinking, and, and really, what's next for you, Kairos? Yeah, I've been retired two weeks now, maybe, or a week, <laughs> so uh, enjoying right, it so right you get to now. take a little time off. <laughs> yeah. I would like to spend time, obviously, with friends and family and traveling, etc., probably some amount of time on that. But I certainly want to continue to remain engaged, so I would be looking for maybe working six to eight months a year, if I could, in an, either a pro bono capacity with some of the nonprofits or working on a sort of an interim executive kind of roles. And also maybe if I've got some more advisory opportunities or advisory board kind of positions, I would be looking for those. But I'm trying to get a more balanced view of spending my time between some sort of community giving back, continuing to remain engaged in the corporate world, and then having some time with friends and family and travel, et cetera. So let's see how I get that mix. It sounds like you've got a good start already. I've set off and I always viewed life as being, you know, divided into three stages. There's your uh, learning stage, your earning stage, and then the returning stage. And it sounds yes. like you're clearly in, in that phase three. And so I applaud you in terms of your focus on pro bono and really giving back. And so it's, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to help on some of those fronts as well. Thank you. Yep. Final, uh, final question I always like to ask, where do you personally find your inspiration? I think books, people, online, et cetera. So I have always, every company that I've been with, I've always made it a point to really get to know the people. Given my role, it's I, I really, more than programs and policies, I really wanted to get to know the people. And that's always been my inspiration. So every week, wherever I was, after the first few months in the job, once I got to know the company and the people, I always made it a point to have kind of 30 minute, 30 minute, just catch up sessions with people across the organization. I would set up no agenda, no specific purpose, but just have these sort of, hey, what's going on in your world? And that really gave me great insight, not only about what was really going on and disconnected from where we were from headquarters, but also getting to know the people, what motivates them, what drives them, what are some of their energizers? And I, for me, that gave me a lot of energy, that gave me a lot of insight, and I think it was one of the best ways for me to spend having these one-on-one -on -one calls for three to five people every week. It's uh, probably the same reason I could give for doing these podcasts. It's a, a labor of love because I, I appreciate smart people and, and the insights that you can almost never predict coming out of these things or the perspectives. And perhaps you should start your own podcast series. 
<laughs> we'll call it Six Sigma Talent. How about that? <laughs> I think you could do well at that. If nothing else, there's probably a great book behind it as well. So, Kairos, <laughs> thank you for spending this time with us today. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. And thank you to all your listeners and uh, wish you and your company the very, very best. I'm sure you guys have got a very exciting model with your sort of three areas of focus and look forward to, to, to continuing to stay connected. Absolutely. So this has been Kairos Tarpur, former chief human resources officer of Xylem and a lifelong practitioner of Six Sigma Talent. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for our next Momenta Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.